0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Father, I ask that you would just uh, bless this time, that you would open up our hearts and our minds for understanding this morning. Um, That The words that come out of my mouth are... Not anything clever that I've put down on paper, or or anything that I thought, oh, that's a clever thing, but is just from you, Lord, um, because we want to know you more. We want to hear from you this morning, and we ask that uh, you would do just that. That we would walk away from this place, having a better understanding of who you are and your heart for us. In your name, we pray. Amen. So as I was thinking through what to teach. Um, I was thinking through several options, and our home fellowship, we're going through Judges, the book of Judges right now. And some of you might be familiar with some of the Judges. Uh, if you've ever stayed at a hotel, you've probably seen a Bible in in the nightstand placed there by the Gideons. Uh, Gideon was a judge. Uh, you may have heard of the man Samson, who I try to resemble with my hair slightly. Um, He was also a judge, and there were a total of 12 judges for the people of Israel. And when I say judge, I'm not talking about somebody in a black robe, uh, sitting on a high bench, making judgments, smacking the gavel, and saying, you get this, and you get this. No, this is a judge that God raised up to lead his people, to guide his people, to redeem his people, to deliver his people. And for time setting, the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. They've come into the promised land. Joshua has led them to victory, fought the battle of Jericho, fought many other battles, and conquered many cities and many territories. But when he died, who was to lead them? And if you look real quickly, even though we're in Judges 11, if you look quickly at Judges chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, it says And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnaheres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains, mountain of Gash. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So Joshua dies after 110 years old. The people that were with him that took over the land of Cana die And a new generation arises that doesn't know what the Lord has done. And if you skip down to verse 11, it says, uh, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. So you have this generation that doesn't know what the Lord did, how they wandered in the desert and God provided for them. They don't know all of the battles that the Lord won for the people of Israel. They have forgotten their Lord. And they start searching after and worshiping other gods. And then jumping down a little bit more, verse 16, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. God, seeing their depravity, seeing their awfulness, said, my people need a deliverer. My people need somebody to redeem them. My people need somebody to save them. And so he raises up judges. And so this morning, we look at one of these judges named Jephthah. Now, the people who have been in the land of Canaan for about 300 years at this point in time, after they've crossed over. Jephthah, however, is on the, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. If you've ever looked at a map of, of Israel, the Jordan kind of separates Israel today from Arabia and Syria and all these other lands. Jephthah lives on the other side of the river, where some of the people of Israel said, This is a good land. We want to live here. And God let them live there. So if we jump into now chapter 11. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove out Jephthah, and said to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and went into the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out out with him. So we learn a little bit about who this Jephthah character is. Gilead, not named, not the territory that he lived in, the fact that he's a Gileadite, doesn't mean that Gilead was the man that the territory was named after, just so happened to be this man's name. He has a son with a prostitute and then he has other sons with his wife. And you would think, what? Why is this in the Bible? Isn't God supposed to write about holy things? Well, if you look at Jesus' genealogy, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was in the line of Jesus' genealogy. As we look at this this morning, remember that God uses broken, sinful people for his will. Now, it doesn't say that we should just say, keep going on sinning because God's going to use us anyway. But just remember that God can use anybody, no matter what you've done or who you are, who your parents are. The fact that he was born of a prostitute, he didn't choose that. It's just who he was. And God can still use that. And so he grows up, and his, and his brothers, half brothers, run him out of town, thinking that maybe he'll try to take their inheritance. And he runs away. He runs away to this land of Tob, which if if you look at a map is kind of where modern day Syria is today. And he's run away from his house. And, uh, and I'm sure he was thinking, what the heck? I'm just a guy. Well, why is this happening to me? And as we read in verse 3, it says that, at least in my Bible, uh, this translation, it says worthless fellows collected around Jephthah, and he went out with them. In the New King James that we have handed out here, if you've got that, it talks about they, they, they were worthless fellows that raided with him. And as I was reading that translation and comparing and contrasting, I like this better. Um, because raiding gives me the idea of the Oakland, uh, Las Vegas raiders, um, and the autumn wind blows, and uh, that, that type of thing. But, but this, this idea that they're worthless men doesn't say that they're worthless men because they're horrible men, that they're bad guys, that they're pirates. They're worthless men that might be exactly like Jephthah, cast out. Unwanted, unworthy, undesired. People that have no other family. And so Jephthah takes these men and he brings them together. He leads them. And as the new King James says, they raided. I don't think they raided people, but I think they did something similar to what David did when he was running away from Saul. He had a band of men that protected people. He, he had a band of men that they received some payment for just being kind of the protection of the area. And I think that's kind of the idea that we get here in this, in this reference that they had worthless fellows that went out with him. They followed him because he led them. They followed him because he was one like them. They followed him because he was a leader. In verse four, we pick up pretty much where Chapter Ten has left off in chapter ten if you if you look quickly at verse um, seventeen, it says, "Then the Amorites were called to arms and they encamped in Gilead, and the people of Israel came together and they encamped at Mizpah, and the people of the, le- the leaders of Gilead said to one another, "Who is the man who will begin to fight against?" Begin to fight against the Ammonites. He shall be the head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So we pick up in, in chapter 11 with verse 4, pretty much in the same spot. So the writer gives us kind of a background of who Jephthah is and then picks it up in verse 4. And it says this After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel, and the Ammonites made war against Israel. Uh, uh, made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. They had said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come now when you are in distress? And the elders um, and the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us to fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said in verse 9 that to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, um, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people and made him and the people made him head over, head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord at Mizpah. To note that these people have the Ammonites coming up against them. Earlier in chapter 10 we learn that it's been 18 years that the people of Ammon have been oppressing the people of Israel. And at this point in time they're like, all right, we've oppressed them for long enough. Let's go take their land too. This is part of the cycle that we see throughout the book of Judges. The people are following after God. The people walk away from God. The people are oppressed. God sends a deliverer. The people follow God. People walk away from God. They're oppressed. God sends a leader. Oftentimes, the leader comes when they've repented, when they've said, Lord, we can't take this anymore. We need you. Only one of the judges is raised up without them asking for it. And that's Samson. But at this time, after 18 years, they've been oppressed, and the Lord sends them a deliverer sends them a redeemer, sends them somebody that can fight for them. But as we read here, as we've heard, they didn't want him. He was a man that they didn't want. He even says, why do you want me now? Didn't you run me out of my father's house? Didn't you run me away from my home? Now it's interesting, the Old Testament always points to who Christ is and gives you a glimpse of to what Christ has done for us. Christ was rejected by men. I was, a, I was his enemy. I didn't want anything to do with him. We, in our sin, want nothing to do with, with Jesus and what he's done for us. We cast him out and say, nope, not today, Jesus. But thankfully... He's there for us. When we turn to him in our time of need, he's there for us. These people, they rejected Jephthah, but God knew they needed Jephthah. He raised up Jephthah in order to be their deliverer even when they didn't think they wanted him, when they didn't think they needed him. He was the guy that God chose. Even us, when we didn't think we needed Jesus, When we were his enemy, he died for us so that we could have the hope of eternal life. And so we see that Jephthah questions them. He says, why do you come to me now? And I'm sure as Jephthah was in the land of Tob leading his worthless fellows, thinking about why did I get run out of town, he possibly had these thoughts that crept into his head of, why me, God? I'm, I didn't choose that. Why am I here? Why did my brothers kick me out? And it made me think of the story of Joseph. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Joseph was one of the sons of Israel or Jacob. And he told dreams to his brothers and his brothers hated him. And his brothers took him and sold him to people that took him and enslaved him in Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he got thrown in prison, being accused of something he didn't do. And while he was in prison, he told a dream to a couple of guys, and they told the dream to Pharaoh, and it was a good thing for Pharaoh. But he sat there in prison. And I'm sure Joseph had the same thoughts. Why is this happening to me? why me? I know I've had those thoughts. Or I've I've been in a situation where I don't see the light through the end of the tunnel. I can't see where God's leading this situation. And I ask the question, why me, God? And so today, as we read this story, as we think through this, we need to remember that God's ways are awesome. God's ways are good. Even when we can't understand His ways, His ways are better than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's putting us through these trials and tribulations not to torture us. My son actually had to do uh, do a handstand for a minute the other day, and I asked him why he had to do that handstand. He goes, well, we have to do it, otherwise Coach is going to torture us. <laughs> I was like... Is he really trying to torture you or is he trying to make you stronger? Is he trying to give you a little bit more balance, being able to be up on your hands? I think it's the latter. It's not for his enjoyment, but it's for his glory. And so so we see the story of Joseph and ultimately Joseph is put in Egypt so that he can provide for his family so that he can provide for not just his family, but all sorts of people in the area when a great famine comes. And so I'm sure Joseph, when he sees the light at the end of the tunnel, when he gets to the end of this tribulation, he says, that's, that's what it was there for. That's a reminder to all of us. When we're going through trial and tribulation, it's there for his glory It's there to be used for him. Now we can choose to use it in a different way. But we need to be conscious as Christians to use it for the glory of God. And so also with Joseph, his brothers end up coming to him and he asks them questions and tests their sincerity. Similar to what Jephthah does here. His brothers could very well have been in this group of elders. His brothers may have been some of the people that came to get him. And he's questioning their sincerity. He's testing their motives. And it's interesting too, he either unintentionally or unintentionally asks this question and asks the same question of their heart with the Lord. Because what have they done? They have walked away From the Lord. They have followed after the Baals and the Ashtaroths. They have worshiped other gods. And now, in their time of great need, they sought a deliverer. Jephthah is questioning their motives with God, too, at this point in time. And it's a question that we should all ask ourselves. When times get tough, when things go wrong, do we seek God? because it's we need him or are we seeking god every single day are we holding on to him like we won't we don't want to let up we don't want to give up or are we just running back to him when times get tough just for a way out we need to ask that same question of ourselves why am I going to God? What is my motivation? Is it so that I can be blessed or so that I can be in fellowship with him? So as he tests his brothers, as he tests these elders, he's testing their sincerity and he doesn't just jump right back in the, and say, all right, guys, all good. Let's go fight these Ammonites. He takes his time. And then he goes back with them and in verse uh 11, we see that Jephthah went back with the elders of Gilead and the people, and they made him a leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord at Mizpah. The elders, the Gileadites, the Ammon, uh, when they were sitting there in camp in, verse, in chapter 10, they asked, who will go up for us? But you notice who they didn't ask? They didn't seek the Lord's counsel. They didn't say, Lord, we're in distress. We are in great need. We need a deliverer. Who will go up for us? That's who they should have asked. That's who they should have turned to. And very likely they would have been directed in the, towards Jephthah. But they didn't ask him. And here we see Jephthah kind of setting the record straight, making sure that, hey, this is... Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this vow to you. I'm, I'm going to lead your people, Lord. I need you to help me. I need you to lead me. I need you to direct me. This is a good step by Jephthah. Speaking these to before the Lord at Mizpah. And so after all this has happened, after he's been made the leader, in verse 12, it says that Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said... What do you have against me that you have come out to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah and said, Because Israel, on coming out of, up out of Egypt, took away my land from, uh, from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan, now therefore restore it peaceably. So Jephthah, being the leader, sends emissaries to this king and says, What's the deal? Why are you here? And the response is interesting. The response of the king of Ammon says, You took my land, I want it back. But then we see Jephthah's response in verse 14. And it says that Jephthah again sent messengers to the king and gives him a history lesson here. It says, It said to him, Thus says Jephthah Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they sent, uh, sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they journeyed through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land, uh, the land of Moab and encamped there on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for Aaron, the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then said to him, sent to him, and Israel said to him, "'Please let us pass through your land to our country.'" but Sihon did not, trust the, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Jehaz and fought with Israel. We're going to pause right there for a second. So he gives them a bit of a history lesson. Reminds him that when they came up out of Egypt, they asked to go through Moab. They asked to go through um, Edom. They asked to go through the land of Ammon or of, of this, through their land there's distinction between the three asks the first two people they asked said no the third person they asked Sihon said no by bringing an army against them this king Sihon decided to attack Israel and we see what God did Uh, in verse 21, and it says, and the Lord God of Israel gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who had inhabited the country, and they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok, from from the wilderness to the Jordan. So the Lord God of Israel dispossessed the Amorites from before his people. And and you and are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Shemosh your God gives to you to possess, and all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, he, we will possess. Now, are you any better than Balak the son of Zippor or the king the king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel, or did he ever go to war with them, while Israel lived in, Hesh- in Heshbon and in? in its villages, in the Aror or its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon? 300 years. Why did you not deliver them within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the the, the judge, decided this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon, but the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to them. So Jephthah responds and says, the Lord dispossessed you of this territory. The Lord gave it to his people. And we've been here 300 years. It's an awesome history lesson to say this is what the Lord did. This is a testimony right here of what the Lord did. And the question to all of us is, What has the Lord given to you? What land of the enemy has the Lord dispossessed from the enemy and given you freedom in? What things that the enemy once had a a hold on you did the Lord take away? Whatever that is, are you going to let it go? Are you just going to give it up? Are you going to say, oh, I'm just a sinner. Of course I'm going to sin. That's, that's just my nature. I'm just, that's fine. I'll, I'll redeem it later. No. Who the Lord has set free is free indeed. And never give up on that. Never forget that. Never forget the fact that the Lord has made us free through His death and resurrection don't give a foothold to the devil. Don't allow the devil to take back any of that territory for his, because it's the Lord's. And if you haven't been saved, if you haven't realized that that's what Jesus did for us, today's the day to say, yes, the Lord has done that for me. And I'm going to take full advantage of the fact that he gave me freedom. And then... I'm never going to look back. I'm never going to give it up because it's I am the Lord's. We are called to be saints, to be set apart for his glory. But we see that the king of the Ammonites doesn't listen. He doesn't heed these words. He doesn't take this history lesson. Perhaps he got bored through the history lesson. And he still decides to go out and fight. And we're about to get to the part of this story that's messy. The part of the story where the flesh is in full force. The flesh is revealed. Remember, the judges are God's people to deliver his people. They're the people that God has raised up to do something for him but they are just men. All of us in this room, God has given us whatever fruits of the spirit we need to, to do his business. But we're all men. Every single one of us. We're all sinners. We all have that bit of flesh that we hold on to. And here in in these next few verses, we see a little bit of that flesh In verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me uh, when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering so jephthah crossed over the ammonites to fight against them and the lord gave them into his hand and he struck them from error to the neighborhood of mineth the 20 cities as far as abel kirim with a great blow so the ammonites were subdued before the people of israel now one might say where's that flesh what what are you talking about He's given the Spirit of the Lord, and when he's given the Spirit of the Lord, off he goes. He goes off to battle. But there's still that part, he's like, if you'll do this, Lord. If you'll do this, I vow to give you whatever comes out of my house as a burnt offering. doesn't sound bad until we learn what that is. It sounds kind of good. I'm going to give this to you, Lord. But God didn't ask it for of him. God didn't ask him, "Whatever if you have victory, whatever comes out of your house, give it as a burnt offering." God did not ask him for this. This is something that he put together on his own. And it's good to remember that again, these people have walked away from the Lord. They have mingled with others around them. They have incorporated worship of other gods into their lives. And I can't imagine that Jephthah hasn't done some of the same. He probably knows of these practices of, of, of the people around him that a burnt, burnt sacrifice is a good thing. And thinks, I'll do that. But we see here in verse 34, the tragic twist of this story. In verse 34, it says, Then Jephthah came came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him, with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter, And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause for great trouble for me. For I have said to him, um, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. Maybe he was hoping that it was a goat that would walk out of his door. Somebody suggested, uh, as I was preparing for this, that maybe he was hoping for his wife. (laughs) But in his wildest dreams, he never expected it to be his daughter. And he tears his cloak because he realizes that he made this rash vow. He made this, this vow to the Lord without considering the consequences, without considering what exactly he was saying. And sometimes we can have the same thing happen to us. Where we say, I'm going to do this for you, Lord, without realizing what exactly we're saying. Giving something to the Lord that the Lord doesn't ask for us or from us. Perhaps he was thinking, I'll do this burnt sacrifice like my enemies have done. And it'll go well with me. Doubling down on, like, I'm going to go out to battle. I'm going to make sure that this is for real. And we see the fact that Jephthah is a failed man. And it's interesting, too, here that his daughter says, Do with me what you have vowed. She didn't put up a fight, which is kind of crazy. But she does ask this one thing in verse 36. And she said to him, My father, oh, I'm sorry, verse 37. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done to me leave me alone for two months that I may go up to the, on the mountains and weep for my virginity at, and my compatriots. And so he said, go. And then he sent her away for two months and she departed, she and her companions. And he we, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the, to, at the end of the two months, she returned to her father who, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel that went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite for four days in the year. He sent his daughter off for two months. And then when she came back, according to the text, he did with her what he had vowed. And we had a discussion in our home fellowship Did he really kill her? There's some that think that maybe she became like a nun. That she was just a virgin forever and she lived on it a hundred days without having children, without knowing a man. I don't see that in the text. And it's these tough things where we read this about this man that did this horrible thing. And we say, Lord, why are you showing us this? This man is referenced later on in the, in the Bible, in Hebrews 11, in some of those great men of faith. He had great faith and when he went out to battle. But just like Peter, he had a lack of faith as well. Peter jumped out of the boat, and when he saw that the waves were coming up, he started to sink. Jephthah had great faith, was being moved by the Spirit to go out and fight the battle for the Lord. But when his faith failed a little bit, he returned to this other way. We can have a tendency in our world today to walk in two camps. You can walk with the Lord or you can walk with the world. You can't walk with both and look any, any sort of normal. If I'm trying to walk with the Lord and walk with the world, I look like one of Monty Python's silly walks. I look foolish. I look stupid. I look like an idiot. If I walk with the Lord... It's straight and narrow. If I walk with the world, it's wherever I want to go. The world is my oyster. That path leads to destruction. This path leads to eternal life. Jephthah is walking in both camps. This sacrifice of his daughter, this burnt sacrifice, is similar to the what people would do for the god Molech, where they would take their children and put it on the altar into Molech's arms and let it be a burnt offering to Molech. Jephthah had two months where he could have said, Lord, is this really what you want? And he didn't. He had two months where he could have said, Lord, show me another way. Show me a different way out of this. But we don't see that he did. Because he had a compromised faith, because he had a compromised understanding of who God is and what God desires, he went and did something awful. We need to learn from that. Are we walking a compromised faith? Are we mixing in things that are of God with things that are of the world? Things that are of God and things of the new age? Things that are of God and things that aren't of His wanting and His desire? Do we, knew, do we know our Father? Are we abiding with Him? Are the fruits of our, of our life, of our faith, are those evident that that is the Lord's? Or is it mixed with weeds and, and other things? We have to ask that same question of ourselves. What kind of walk are we walking? Because if it's compromised life, you're going to do stupid stuff. Even if I'm a Christian, I still have that step into the f- flesh. I got to take that step back. I got to get out of that walking in the world. I got to get out of walking with my flesh, and I need to walk with the Lord all the days of my life. I'm still going to stray every once in a while, I'm still going to make that wrong step. But God's paths are straight and narrow, they're easy to walk. Sometimes it's uphill, and you can backslide. But you get back on the path. The book of Judges oftentimes shows us some element of who God is. And we see it from what God does with failed human beings. We see that God can use failed human beings for his good works. Like I said earlier, it's no excuse to say, I'm just going to sin anyway. I'm just going to be a failed human being and hope that God uses me. No, we need to try not to be a failed human being. We need to go through the process of sanctification. We need to go through the process of being made holy. So that we can honor our Lord and Savior. In Romans 8, it says, or I'm sorry, Romans 12 Verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our lives should be living sacrifices. Not burnt sacrifices that are burned once and done. Every day. Get up. I'm your sacrifice to you, Lord. I'm going to die to myself so that I can serve you. We also need to realize that an ultimate sacrifice has been made for us. While the judges kind of point the picture of what God is doing for us by redeeming us, by delivering us, what these judges did were only for a short time. Oftentimes a judge would come and deliver the people, they would have years of peace, and then they would backslide again. When Jesus comes and and dies on the cross and is raised again, that sacrifice is for forever. His lordship, his judgeship is forever. He deliver us, delivers us in a way that no man can. He delivers us and gives us freedom in a way that nobody we follow will ever do for us. He needs to be our sacrifice. We cannot be the sacrifice. We cannot make something else the sacrifice. He needs to be the one complete sacrifice that we say by the blood of Jesus, our sins are washed away. If it's anything else, we're doing the exact same thing that Jephthah did. Walking with the world. this morning, or whenever you read some crazy story in the Bible, ask, what is God putting it there to teach us about himself? God didn't ask Jephthah to make this sacrifice. There was a way out. He didn't have to go through with this because this is not part of God. The sacrifice didn't lead to Jephthah's victory, but Christ's sacrifice leads to our victory. Jephthah was a deliverer, but Jesus is our ultimate deliverer. If you don't know that this morning, you need to. If you're walking with the ways of the world and the ways of God, need to stop. And you need to walk with the Lord. Because like I said, the other path is wide. The world is your oyster, but it leads to destruction. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that uh, you would continue to show us in what ways we are walking in both camps, in the ways of the world and the ways of, of, of you, Lord. I ask that you would make it clear to us what those ways are and abandon those ways, to remove those parts of our lives from our life that pull us away from you. I ask that we would just grasp onto you. And the sacrifice that you made for us because you provided another way out. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done, for who you are, the fact that your judgeship, that your lordship lasts forever, that you will not fail us like I fail myself, like others fail me, that you will not fail.